All right, good morning. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 85 this morning. Psalm 85. And if you like to be ahead of the curve, you can turn over and put your thumb or your bookmark in Ephesians chapter 2. In Burlington, North Carolina, the New Hope Baptist Church gathered every Monday night for several years for one purpose, to pray for revival. They did this for several years, and that's not all they did. They continued to do the various things that churches do. One of those things was to have an annual summer revival meeting, and so they invited an evangelist to come and to preach that week of revival meetings. When the revival started, there was an attendance of about 300 there the first evening. But something happened. God showed up. And he showed up in power. And the meetings grew in number every night. God was at work. Lives were changed. People were being saved. And at the end of the week, the leaders decided, let's extend the meeting because God is doing something special in our midst. By the time it was over, thousands and thousands were attending each night. And the revival went on for 12 weeks. The Billy Graham organization did a story about this revival. And they reported the following. They said after 12 weeks of revival, 1,249 souls had been saved. The evangelist in this story was quoted as saying the following. Never in my wildest imagination would I have ever thought that God would let me see what we saw at this revival meeting. God has been good to us. This was all the work of God, and I can't praise Him enough. I saw people crying and smiling every night that God had saved, and it thrills my heart for all the things He has done. He's healed people with cancer. There were marriages that were falling apart until they gave the pieces to Jesus and he put their marriages back together. Pastors showed up at that revival and received a fresh vision, a renewed fire to preach the power of the gospel. For all God has done, we give him thanks and praise his holy name. Stories of revival. And you can hear or read hundreds of them. And I imagine as I explain those things, maybe your mind goes back and you think of things you've heard or maybe seen pictures of from the 50s or the 60s. This was not in the heyday of big tent revivals 50 years ago, not 40 years ago, not 30 years ago, not 20 years ago. This was five years ago in a place much like Valley Springs, Arkansas. Revival. God is still alive. He still wants to move. He still wants to work. And I want us to think today. I want us to plead with God. I want us to pray to God. Something out of this passage we're going to study. Will you not revive us again? Let's do a little spiritual health inventory. Don't you like those things? Your, your uh, insurance company makes you do them. So this one, uh, we won't poke or prod you too much. Maybe a little bit spiritually. If 98.6, so take out a pen or take out your phone or, or you can pick someone you'll just tell your answer to. Let's, let's take a little spiritual health inventory. As we think about the spiritual climate 
or the spiritual health of ourselves, of churches, of America. If 98.6 is normal, now if you get outside that, you begin to think that something's wrong, right? But we're going we're to do this a little bit differently. When I ask you a certain, about a certain area, if you think everything is normal, it's as it should be, it seems biblical, it's what God wants to do, just give it a 98.6. If you think that things are amazing and better spiritually, go higher, all right? Let's go 100, go 105. But if you think things are definitely not up to par, not where they should be, maybe give a temperature that's a little lower. So what say ye? What do you believe is the spiritual temperature of America? Write it, write it down or think about it or share it with somebody. What is the spiritual temperature of America this day? Is, is all normal? Is it good? Is it, is it fervently spiritual and things are going better than ever? Or would you say, no, no, things are much lower. So, so give it a number. How about the evangelical church in America? Let, let, or if you want to narrow it down, just, just what you know about good Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches, where would they register in general on that thermometer? 98.6? Everything's right where it should be. Is it colder? Is it hotter? Give it a number. Now here's the one that stings a little bit, maybe. How about you? If you were to be honest before God, don't share this with anybody, but if you were honest with yourself and, and with God, what would you say is your spiritual temperature today? Are you well? Is everything functioning as it should? Are you hot? Are you cold? Let's read Psalm 85 together. It's a psalm of revival, praying for revival. Psalm 85. O Lord, you showed favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Selah. You withdrew all your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. Restore us, O God, of our salvation. And cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. Show us your loving kindness, O Lord. And grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will say. For he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before him and will make his footsteps into a way. This psalm breaks into three nice little section, sections, which is great for a three-point preacher. Really, we could get four, but we're going to study and focus in on three. And the first section is God's past testimonies. And that's in verses one through three. God's past testimony. At first glance, these first three verses really look like it's a, it's a, it's a psalm of praise that God is doing amazing and great things among his people. God has blessed them richly. But it's really not that. 
This is actually a psalm of desperate pleading that God would do in this day as the psalm is written what he had done in the past. These first three verses, really, the entire psalm is predicated on this idea that in the past, God has revived his wayward and sleeping and slumbering and sinful people. God has done a work where he forgave sins and he brought good. He brought beauty from ashes. It's really, it's really the root of what is being requested here in this psalm. You know, if we're not careful, when things get bad, when times get difficult, when spiritually we're languishing, we can get jaded. We can get bitter. We can get jealous maybe that God is blessing other people. And, and, and we can think that God has just passed us by. God, have you forgotten me? Maybe. That's if we're not careful. You know, we do this thing, these kind of same things in the, in the natural realm. Think about the way you've reacted to our lack of rain here lately. You know, this is, this is what we mainly think about and talk about in the late summer. We've been in a bit of a drought, and uh, we were just having this conversation out in the, in the foyer about, about the rains. Man, it's getting desperate, and we're already having to feed some hay and do some things like that. And, and uh, uh, there was a hope for rain this past week. And Whitney was going down south, and she went through Denard, and she said it was raining cats and dogs. I mean, you couldn't hardly even see, is it raining at home? Not a drop. And then we get word that up here in Valley Springs, it's raining cats and dogs. Now, it may not have been at your house, but, you know, we, we kind of get like the Dana Carvey church lady when we hear what God is doing with other people, but he's not doing with it with us. Anybody remember that? Well, isn't that special? You're getting rain, and it's passed us by. What in the world? God! And then we look at the radar. And, and it's green and yellow all around us, but there's this big hole right over my house and my place. It, doesn't it work that way? And, and you know, so we get, we get a little bitter. We get a little jealous. Well, good for you. And I, I, in fact, we were down there uh, out in the foyer, and I'd heard that y'all got a lot more rain. And so they were asking me about it. I said, I don't know, Saturday we probably got an inch. And I could see it on Tom Taylor's face. Now, he's, well, we got three quarters, and then there was another, and I could almost hear it. Isn't that special <laughs> for you? We didn't get it. But, you know, really, when it rains all around us, you know what it should do? Not make us bitter and jealous, but it should give us great hope because the rains have come, and our time is coming. And when it comes to revival and to see God move, I think when we hear stories of revival, it should not make us think, God, you've passed us by, you have neglected, you have forgotten, you have forsaken us. But God, you are on the move. And the reins of revival are stirring. And this psalm remembers the way God works. You know, we should really study and think about the way God has worked in the past because it tells us a lot about his character and how he wants to work in our day. You know, we do this with people all the time. We look at their past, we look at the way they've acted in the past, and we think, well, that's what we can expect from them. But people change, but God never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What about God's past action? This psalm in the first three verses, they're relying on some things God has done in the past. What are those things that God has done right in the midst of a wayward, sinful, rebellious, imperfect 
It's people. What has he done? Well, it lists some things there in verses 1 through 3. And I think it's to say when people have turned to God, realized their sin, and come back and pleaded to God, what has God done? Has he stiff-armed them? No. He's shown his favor, it says. God, you, you showed favor. These people who were wayward, they even went into captivity, and you have restored their freedom. We sang about that today. God, God you've broken the chains and given freedom. What else? You forgave their iniquity. And we're prone to want to... Was that a weather report I just heard? <laughs> we're prone to want to think that God will not forgive us. Oh, he'll forgive everybody else. He's forgiven every other sin in the past but mine. And he forgave their iniquity. That's what God does. Covers their sins. Not, not hides them. Pays for them. By the blood. What else has God done? It says, God, you withdrew your wrath. You turned away from the anger. God gets angry. Did you know God is angry about sin? It's settled forever. God is angry. He hates sin. He hates the brokenness that comes from it. But he's willing to forgive it. He's willing to bring change and hope. And in the Old Testament, God had acted with great kindness and mercy and favor and forgiveness and turning away from his wrath and offered blessings and forgiveness and peace. But here's the thing. Is that for us today? Or is that just Old Testament Israel? Is that for us? This, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 for a minute. And I want to show you here that in Christ, we have even greater assurance of these things. God has not changed. But his covenants do change. In the past, we see in Old Testament it's mainly with the people. It's the people of Jacob, people of Israel, and this race of people, if you will. But what about us as Americans? 2021, is there a promise of God doing the same kind of thing today? And I want you to see in Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 19, this offering of blessing and forgiveness and turning away from wrath and being made right with God, and even being invited into his own household. Ephesians 2, 13 through 19. But now in Christ Jesus. So, so it's saying, not in Jacob. Not just for national Israel, but for those who are in Christ Jesus. You who were formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he, that is Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Jesus shows us clearly the cross portrays something that God wants to cover our sins, to pay for them and to offer forgiveness to us and to bring us into his people, into his nation. We have peace with God 
through Jesus. And I want to say to you, 2,000 years after Jesus died on the cross, do you know that Jesus is still preaching peace to people? And you're sitting here today and maybe you know that you are alienated from God. You can't explain it theologically, but you can say, I know that I'm far from God. I don't feel his peace. I don't know his peace. I know I don't belong to his household. I am not of God. You feel in your conscience the weight of your sin. You know what Jesus would say to you? Peace to you. My peace I give to you. Jesus came. And he died on the cross. This objective historical reality. And he wants that to be applied to you. He didn't just preach peace to Israel. Those who were near. But to those who are far. Gentiles. Americans. Arkansans. In 2021. Jesus wants to preach peace to you. Offer you peace with God. I have a message. I want every one of you to hear today. Jesus wants you to have inner peace and to know God and to be a part of his family. That's why he came and he died for you. God's work in the past, God never changes. In Christ, once and for all, sins have been put away. And the way that you come into the household of God, the kingdom of God, the nation, if you will, of God, is to come through Jesus our Lord. But now we need to move on to verses 4 through 7. It's the second section of this psalm. What we see is the nation's present trouble. When this was written, there was present trouble going on. Because now we see they're looking back to the past and saying, God, you have done this before. You have taken a wayward people and brought your blessing and forgiven them. Do it in our day. Our nation is in trouble. This psalm contains a desperate cry of repentance and a plea for God to renew and to restore a nation. Restore a broken people. He sa- and he's, it says that. Restore us. Cause your indignation to cease. Apparently, Israel had backslidden. They were in very dire straits. They had forsaken God. They had forgotten God. And God had turned, in some ways, is back to them. Because of their sins, he would not look on their sins and bless them. God responded to the sins of his people with anger and indignation. That's what's clear in this passage. He opposed them. He withdrew his blessing, if you will. And maybe even we could say afflicted them because of their sins. You know, we don't live in a bubble. We live in among a people. And we live in a nation just like they did. So I ask you the question, what is the spiritual temperature of America in this day? One of the things we as Christians like to do, we we like to sit around and debate the founding of America. Was America founded as a Christian nation? While that's not a totally irrelevant issue, in fact, it's quite relevant for some things in our laws, I tell you what we should do is we should ask this question, Is America Christian today? Do we see godly righteousness in among the people of America? Is that the culture? Is that the climate? Is that the atmosphere? Is that who our leaders are? are? I would just ask you, do we seem like a Christian nation today? This week, we were getting ready for supper and the news was on. And I 
overheard the next story that was coming on after the commercial break. American congresswomen share their journeys of abortions. And I kind of hesitated a minute. I asked, I asked Whitney, I said, did you hear that? What, no, what was it? I said, American congresswomen want to share their journeys with abortion. And it came back on, and basically I will just say the first one we heard a piece of was an American congresswoman lauding how great her abortion was for her life. And then the TV cut off. I looked over and Whitney had the remote in her hand. And I, I just, there was a sickness in my stomach in hearing that. Here's what I would say. I think America is becoming more and more spiritually destitute. The further we turn from God and His ways of righteousness, the worse things will get. You don't have to have the inside scoop. You don't have to have a PhD in economics to see this, that our monetary fortunes in this country are eroding. Our economic stability is scary. The health of even small businesses, big businesses. Hey, you can drive around Boone County and go to businesses and one thing you will find is many of the businesses are teetering and tottering. Now, What's happened? I would just say this. Is it possible that God has, because of the stances and the spiritual destitution that we have chosen, has he begun to withdraw some of his former blessings to us? That's what I would say. And I think I could prove that to you as a principle that is always true in the Bible. Our systems, our organizations, our borders... Our healthcare systems, all kinds of things, educational systems, they're languishing. And many of you work in those things and you would say, yes. Things that we took for granted that were so stable and seemed like they were bulletproof, things that worked two or three or five years ago, they're teetering and they're tottering. But let's don't just pick on those outside the church. Let's ask the question what about the church in America? What is the spiritual temperature and climate? I'll tell you this, I, I don't know how much I, I know that people talk about what's going on in different churches. It's fun as a pastor to go out to eat on Sunday afternoon and people don't know me around here and we'll go sit in Harrison and we get to hear people roasting the preacher and doing things like that. I'm like, I know our people don't do that. <laughs> so, but, but you listen and, and I have preacher friends, you know, and, and, and again, you read the news the religious news, and you know that churches in our land, they're full of tension and turmoil. Leadership scandals. Every day, it seems like, another fallen pastor. The COVID crises continue to go on and challenge everything that we've done in the past, our way of thinking about church. As a demographic group, young, the younger generation, now this is not ipso facto, this is not for everybody, this is a generalization, but the trends are very clear that by and large, the younger generations are fed up and done with the American church and organized religion as a whole. They say that the younger generations have abandoned the church. I'm encouraged. We have a lot of young people here today. But that is not the case everywhere. The younger generations have had their fill and they say they're abandoning the church. And the thought that came to me is, I wonder if we abandoned them first. But I don't know. But it's not just young people. Older people have abandoned the church. 
How many people do you know when their kids get out of youth group or whatever, they disappear from church? Older Americans giving up on the church. I talked to a gentleman just this weekend, and it was one of the saddest things I've heard in a long time, but I know his story is not the only story that's like this. And here's what he said. He said, do you know any young preachers looking for a place to preach? And I said, I don't know. How much does it pay? No, I didn't say that. I said, actually, I do know a few. And, but here's the sad part. He said, there's a lot of weeks, a lot of Sundays, I am the only person that shows up to the church house. So, say again. He said, there are weeks when our church gathering is only me. And I said, really? What's happened? And I know it didn't happen overnight, but in some ways he said it did when COVID hit. He said, we were an older congregation. We'd had 25, 30, or 40 on a good Sunday. It wasn't always that way, but we had 25, 30, or 40. He said, when COVID hit, he said, pretty much everybody is gone. You know, I, I can't say this for sure, but I wonder if this was not the same sort of thing that was going on when this psalm was penned. And the response of the spiritual leaders of their day, and we see in the, their heart in this psalm, is the right response. Here's what it is. They hit their knees. And they cried out to God. In desperation, would you not, Lord, revive us again? That your people may rejoice. The picture that he's got in mind is a people of God who gather together. And man, it's a thriving, bustling place. And the people, their hearts are so filled with thanksgiving and the presence and the work of God that they're, they're singing and they're rejoicing. This same gentleman now, who's the only one, he told me he was the only one in, in his church building a lot of weeks. And I said, you know, the church is not a building, by the way. Maybe we need to regain some of our missionary spirit when we get to that point. But one of the things he said, I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's just always been a kind of a dead church. I don't know. I was trying to think about what might lead to that point. He said, he started talking about the move of the spirit. And this was a Baptist church, by the way. And he says this. He said, I remember a day not too long ago when they were shouting in our sanctuary. And he said, there's silence. Even when other people come, silence. He said, I remember when the older guys would get up and they were jumping around and hooting and hollering. I said, this is a Baptist church. And he said, they were shouting to the Lord. Hey, I remember I went, I went to a, you know, fairly traditional, sophisticated Baptist church growing up in Fort Smith, Arkansas. There were business people, uh, you know, hospital administrators, all kinds of stuff. There were guys wearing suits and ties. These were dignified guys. But I remember during the preaching sometimes and during the singing and after the singing, you'd hear, Woo! There was clapping. There were tears. There was stuff happening. And what he says is, that doesn't happen anymore. Could it be that churches are filled with people who are experiencing a drought of the presence of God? So what is there to sing, shout, and dance about? And they say, Lord, would you not yourself revive us again?
Now, I'm not wanting you to misunderstand. I don't think the only problem is that we've kind of gotten dead and dull in the church. No, I do think that's a problem. (laughs) I'm not calling for a little bit of sugary, caffeine-induced excitement and faking it. Because the only problem is not right here. The problem is when we have drifted from God where is his presence? We cannot force his presence. He's not a genie in a bottle. And they had come to the point where God was absent from a public square, absent from homes, absent from the temple, and absent from hearts. And so they knew this. God, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to do something. Will you not yourself revive us again? See, we can do our part, but you can't force God to show up and do anything. And they know that. So they're praying, God, would you not? We know what you're like. We know you've done this in the past. We're ready. Would you not revive us again? Last couple of verses we'll look at, the third little section here that we'll talk about is in verses 8 and 9, one person's trust. We begin with God's past testimony. We begin with the, then went to the nation's present trouble, but now it's one person's trust. What do we do when we find ourselves in spiritual decline and default in the church and in the nation? We realize that the problem is not systems and organizations and, and corporate groups. Really, the problem and the solution in terms of the first movement is we got to do something and get right with God ourselves. It begins with one person trusting God. Here's the answer. Look at verse 8. I will seek the Lord. I will hear what you have to say, Lord. I will listen when you speak peace to me. And let us not turn back in folly. It begins right here. Right here with us. With one with me. That's what he says is going to bring a revival. God, when you move and you work and you do something in my life, I'm ready. I'm preparing myself. I want to hear from you. Man, wouldn't you like to hear stories week by week of individual people having a real encounter with a living God such that it marks their life and changes them forever? That happens, by the way. Maybe it hasn't happened lately, but but actually it has. We've been praying in our church on Wednesday nights. We've been doing it some here, asking folks to pray for those who you believe are far from God, those who are lost. We did it in our little uh, evangelism group that was meeting on Sunday nights. I've begun to try to I began it. I'm trying to continue praying. And I've been hearing stories. It's pretty amazing. Of God breaking in and doing something right in the midst of people's lives. What about us? What about us? Wouldn't you like to experience personal renewal? To get your temperature back where it should be and even hotter spiritually? Are you tired 
of cold, dead complacency that masquerades as Christianity. And this says, surely, Lord, your salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. Surely, God, you haven't left the building totally. Surely you're still there. Surely you still want to do the same kinds of things that you've been doing ever since you created man and woman. Surely you want to have fellowship with people and want to do a work and a life. Let me be that life. Lord, come and let me have an encounter with you. They used to tell this story all the time in church. Hadn't heard it in a decade, so I'll tell it to you again. You've heard it, though. The old story about a young man, young woman who are in love and they go out on their first date and she comes over to the driver's side of the pickup and he opens the door and she slides in and they're sitting so close. It's nearly like two occupying one seat. We call that riding redneck where I'm from. And they're so close and you pass those people and you're like, oh man, they're in love. And, and then a few years later, you know, they get married and, and uh, you know, we grow together, don't we, in marriage? And uh, she slides down. Now she's in that middle seat. And, and 10, 20 years rock on. He no longer gets the door. She no longer gets in on his side. She goes over, opens her own door, and sits over there. And, and they talk. They're still in love. And then another decade goes by. They do the same thing now. They're both gazing off out the windows, scarcely aware that the other is even in the truck. And one day, the wife says, what's happened to us? We used to be so in love. We sit right together. What's happened? And the old man says, I haven't moved an inch. I haven't gone anywhere. Could it be that in our spiritual lives, that the gap, the distance, the coldness has nothing to do with God. But it's been our relationship and our response to Him. And we have gradually, it happens gradually by the way, most of the time, we have drifted from God. But He's right there where He was. Still loves us. Still wants a relationship with us. Still wants to Hear and answer our prayers. He is not far away. Surely, God, you're near. That's what the psalmist says. He says, I know it. A promise of the Bible. If we will draw near to him, what does it say? He will draw near or nigh to us. That's a promise. It's just the way God has engineered it. But we need something. We need a healthy fear of the Lord. We need to regain our fear of the Lord. That's what it says. God is near and his salvation comes to those who fear him. And I wonder if we haven't just totally become overly familiar with God so much that we have lost our fear and trembling of the greatness of God. Yesterday, I was burning some sacks out because we got rain. We got more than y'all got. And we got rain and I was burning some sacks and I do it in this little hay ring. And, and that's where it's also my compost pile. There's a bunch of old 
squash and stuff in there and I'm burning feed sacks and I've done some other things. It's a great big old hay ring, not that many sacks and I'd burned them and I was going to check on it because I knew my wife was going to say, did you make sure the fire was totally out before you left because it's at another place. So I go over there. I'm like, man, and I was, my mind is so weird. I'm like, this is like, this is baked squash. Look at that. Look at that squash down there baking. And I, and I thought, I'm going to make sure the fire's out everywhere. And I lean over to make sure it's out down here and whoo, sizzled my hand. Man, I go over to the hydrant and I ran some water on it. And uh, I was like, ow, <laughs> that really hurts. And I have to ride my four-wheeler and it's hurting the whole time. And I'm going down the road and you know what I realized? This same exact thing minus the squash happened to me like two months ago. Same thing. Same place. Same hay ring. Same feed sacks. I'm like, what an idiot. <laughs> and I got home. I said, do we have any aloe vera? Any burn medicine? And uh, she's like, I don't think so. And I tell her what happened. She's like, didn't you do that before? Yes, I did. I've gotten so familiar and complacent with the whole thing, burning sacks and all of that, and I just kind of lost my bearings. But with the thing that kept, I felt like the Lord even kind of pierced my heart with this thing. You've lost the fear of me. You've become too complacent and too familiar with me. You've forgotten who I am. You have forgotten that all good things and blessings are from me. They're found in me. Why are you going to broken cisterns when there are streams of living water in my presence? Lost the fear of the Lord. And I was thinking about that. You know, the Bible says our God is a consuming fire. Mm. Anyway. So much here that we could talk about, but here's my heart today. I just think we need to get serious about God in the church. I think the church in general, and I'm not just talking about here, I think that, and I think Christians, I think in general, our Christianity is largely just a bunch of routines and stuff that we do. And I wonder, does God have a place in our lives, in our homes? Does he have a place in this place? And I, I know this, he's actually not, I don't think God is content with having a place in his church. I think he wants to have the place, the highest place. We sing a song, is he worthy? He is the only one and the only thing that is worthy of our affections and our love and our worship and our hearts, our whole hearts. We give our hearts to all kinds of other things. The only thing worthy of our entire devotion and love is Jesus. It is Almighty God. And He needs to be the center of what we do here. And I think as we recapture Him in our vision and let Him have the highest place, His place, the throne, I think He'll show up and do amazing things. So I'm not really sure what I'm asking you to do. I, I, could, I thought about this. and I, Number one is just respond to God as He's maybe convicted you today or spoken into your hearts. But here's some things that would be appropriate in light of this passage. And what we've talked about. Number one. Don't worry. Let's, let's don't worry too much about way out in America. In Washington D.C. Before we've gotten first things first. How about you? Are you living in a place of personal commitment to Jesus today? Do you have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord? 
If you don't, you can have that today. Respond to his peace by giving him your life, trusting him, making him your Lord and Savior. A personal commitment. And then I think a second thing that we see in this passage is what, why don't we start praying for revival more? Let's, let's be real about the situation in America and in our churches today and in our homes and in our hearts and hit our knees and cry out to God to revive us again. Would you pray for that? Would you begin to pray regularly that God would revive us again? Would you pray for the spiritual condition of our nation? Would you draw near this day to him? This could be the first day of an amazing work of God. We, I can't engineer it. I can't motivate you. I can't twist God's arm and make him do anything. But I can tell you based on the promises and the word and the history and the testimony of God, when we turn and draw near to him and get serious about knowing him, he'll come. He will show up. He will show up. And as he shows up in your life and lights a fire like a little match, people will be drawn to that flame, to that light, to that heat. And the way revival spreads is on the wings of testimony. When God doesn't work in your life and you tell people, they get hungry. They get curious. They ask questions and they come. And I think that's what revival is. It's, it's a little match of an individual life that's set on a flame by God Almighty. And it begins to touch and to burn everything around it. And the next thing you know, the next feed sack, the next match, the next thing begins to burn, begins to burn. And the light and the flame grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And that psalm says, Lord, let the glory fill our land. How will America be changed? It'll be changed by the glory of God in your life. Touching another life and another life and another life. If the church is dead, where is he going to start a fire? If our wood is wet, <laughs> what hope is there for the lost? We have the message. Would you commit yourself to spiritual renewal today? We're not going to go anywhere for a little while. I'm getting hot. I think we just need to have some time to, to pray and to commit ourselves to God. Would you join me? If you're so inclined, would you join me by kneeling at your pew or going to an empty pew or coming to this altar? Get up and move. Get up and move. Move in your heart. Would you commit yourself to a new day, a fresh flame, a powerful touch from God? Would you ask Him for it? Would you seek it? Would you cry out to Him for it?
Ask God to do what only he can do. Lord, today, as your church, your people who have faith, we believe that everything that is contained in the Bible is true. It is your testimony. It is your heart to us. It is the way that you work. And standing on that, we pray, God, that you would do a work in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. That you would ignite our hearts to seek you as we never have before. Lord, we lay down our sin. We confess it as sin. We lay down our apathy and indifference as we're reminded today that you are a powerful and consuming fire. Rekindle in us, Lord, the fear of the Lord that is so necessary for you to work in us. We lay down our idols today, Lord. We recognize, God, that there is a younger generation coming up who have not seen or truly heard or experienced some of these things that we've talked about today. Lord, for many of us, we've not seen it or experienced it. But we pray for you to work. Revive us again. Confirm the testimonies of these truths that we talk about in our lives. Confirm them to us and through us. Lord, I pray for our children and our teens. I pray for those in college. And God, maybe it's right that they're fed up with some of the religious stuff that's dead. And I just pray that you would work and start right there with them in a move of God. God, for our families, be at the center. Restore today even marriages and hearts broken relationships God we need to see you work and maybe it's in our own parents or siblings or kids we're fearful for those who are lost we ask you to save God I pray for First Baptist Church right here in Valley Springs. Lord, we want to be a lighthouse, a flame and on fire. We want this to be a place, a church, a people, a gathering where people are welcome to come, where people do come, and where they leave with an unmistakable sense that God was in that place. God is doing something in those people. Lord, we pray that that would spread. Do it in other churches, Lord. Do it in the Ozarks. Revive our country. Revive our country. Lord, we lean on you, lean into you. We ask you to do what only you can do. We're sliding over on that seat, Lord, close to you. We want to come back to you. Help us to know it's okay. Help us to know that you long for us. 
to be right there. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, thank you all. Thank you for bearing with me today and for your heart and and, uh, willingness to pray. Let's seek the Lord like we'd never have before. And I'll tell you this, we need him in our day like we never have before. So let's be dismissed in prayer. Father, do it again. Do what you have done throughout time and space and history and other places. And even in this place, Lord, I know, I know that there have been seasons and years where people continually, week by week, were coming to know Jesus through the testimony of the church. And I pray that that would be our reality again, that you would save souls. Lord, do it in our midst. Be with us as we leave this place, Lord, that this hour and this moment would not vanish like the dew, but that the prayers and the commitments of the heart here today would stick with us beyond lunch, beyond Sunday, and that this becomes a new trajectory for us. Make it real, Lord. Make it real. Thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your kindness and for the salvation that is ours, not because of our works or our goodness or anything that we've done, but strictly because of your mercy in Jesus. We lift him up today as our Lord and Savior. And we pray in his name. Amen. You're dismissed.